at UND, we have strong programs that meet the emerging needs of many sectors of our economy. This private university is shaping the next generation of leaders in Indianapolis and beyond through an emphasis on service learning, professional development, and liberal arts. For all the amazing things in my future, I owe a really big thank you to UND for giving me the space and tools I need to really succeed in every aspect I want to. A small university making a big impact in Indiana and around the globe. The University of Indianapolis, better known as UND, we catch up with the school's new president, Dr. Tanuja Singh, her journey from growing up in India to making her mark in higher education in the U.S., her favorite things about the job, and her vision for UND. It's all next on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Dick. When Dr. Tanuja Singh interviewed for the top job at the University of Indianapolis, she liked what she saw, an urban campus with strong academics, a connection to community, and a diversity. Students from 55 countries, part of the UND fabric. Dr. Singh can identify with many of those students. She came to America from India, to chase her dreams for a world-class education. And I am pleased to be joined on the podcast this week by Tanusha Singh, the 10th president at the University of Indianapolis. And President Singh, really appreciate you taking the time to join me on the podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Looking Absolutely. forward to Absolutely. Well, uh, well, how are things going? Less than a year on the job. July 1, I think, of last year was when you officially became president at UND. How has the first uh, uh, six, seven months been for you here in Indianapolis? Oh, they've been absolutely phenomenal. I've loved, I seem like I've been here much longer. I've gotten to know the community really well, uh, obviously internally as well as externally. Indianapolis has been most welcoming. I've met several business leaders, government leaders, educational leaders. It's absolutely been phenomenal. And internally as well, just really enjoying the city as well as the people. Uh, it's It's been very, and it's also been very productive. The first six, seven months have been extremely productive as well. Yeah, you grew up uh, in India, came to the United States and uh, achieved several degrees here in the U.S. in your educational uh, career. And I think it's interesting to note that I don't think a lot of people know the significant international student population there at UND, right? That is true. In fact, that was one of my first experiences as I was walking around campus. I'm looking at these beautiful flags. And my question was, how are they here? And they said, well, we have students and faculty from about 80 countries. Wow. And uh, given, given the size of the university and our location, I'm not surprised. And yet I am surprised because it's a big privilege to have students from so many diverse places and countries around the world. So, yes. From a, a university standpoint, as you look at the strengths of UND and the things that it is and can accomplish, that diversity piece, especially I think today, you know, frankly, what does that offer in terms of really being an asset for UND? You know, that's an excellent question as well. If you look at uh, all the research that has been done about the impact of diversity on the outcomes, 
Uh, diverse organizations are just better. They're, they do better financially. They have better leadership. And the ability of our students to experience that diversity while they are going to school prepares them so much better for the work they would be doing, whether they become engineers or they become financiers or they become musicians. So that ability to have that conversation is important. The other part that we provide very, very intentionally is the opportunity for our students to do a lot of study abroad in various locations, both study abroad and service abroad. And uh, our student population, as you know, several of them are first gen, several of them are Pell eligible. And for them to have this access to opportunities, not just in the United States, but outside of the country is really remarkable. It just prepares them for a world that's better connected, and they have it right here on campus, but they also have it as they study abroad, they do service abroad, and our faculty are really brilliant in providing that to them. The, the word connected, uh, I know I, I've seen several uh, of the interviews you have done since since taking over as president there at UND, and you talk about the importance of connecting to community, connecting to uh, business and industry. Uh, why, in your view, is that important? And, and in what form is that taking there at UND for, for students? Again, a great question. So from the very beginning, when I was faculty, I was looking at the impact of what we do. So is it relevant? It, does it mean something to someone? And I, the only way we can create that relevance for our students is by ensuring that they get to experience what they learn in a classroom in the real world. And that connectivity brings them closest. So if they are studying to you know, become a teacher or they are studying to become a financier or they are studying to become an engineer, the ability to have to have access to thought leaders in that area, to have practical experience, and for the industries and organizations to have access to our students is just really remarkable. Um, I've always thought of myself as a boundary spanner. I did it when I was a faculty. I brought in people into my class and said, you know, do you have a problem they could solve for you in this class? Uh -huh. And I was surprised at how eager companies and organizations and not-for-profits were to participate. So I've made that a key part of my commitment to you, Indy. We do a great job, but that is one of a big part of our vision, that our education has to be relevant, it has to be future-driven, and it has to be connected so it can benefit the people who are who are taking our classes, who are our students, and it also benefits the community tremendously. Yeah, you, you've talked a lot, I, I think, too, about the need to solve the brain drain, uh, if you will, in, in Indiana. Those students who come here and get a great education and they flee the state and go elsewhere. How do you see you, Indy, playing a role in fighting that brain drain and keeping more talent here? You know, so we are extremely proud to say that a significant percentage of UIndy students stay in Indiana, and a lot of them stay in central Indiana. Uh, I could be wrong about the percentage, but I think it's above 65%, probably close to 67%. So if one of the promises that we that the city has is the ability to learn here, live here, and make your impact here. And that distinguishes us from a lot of other places because a lot of our students, because it is such a wonderful community and what a great city with opportunities, they stay here. Uh, so on that aspect, we are doing quite well. The other part which will keep us in that space is these kinds of opportunities for our students. When somebody comes here, they have a great connection with, say, 
Roche or with Lily or Cummins. And then they say, wow, this is excellent. I'm going to stay here. So we we bring people here, but we also provide the talent. And a lot of our students choose to stay here. Do you see opportunity? Yeah, this made me think of kind of the changing, the evolving face of, of education. And in particular here in Indianapolis with the split at, at IUPUI with, uh, with IU and Purdue, doing their own thing, if you will, and really wanting to connect to the business community uh, with you, Indy, with Butler and and institutions, but being able to fuel that pipeline, because as we all know, talent is such a huge issue for business now. Do you see with that educational cluster, if you will, IU, Purdue, you, Indy, Butler here specifically in in Indianapolis, that that's an opportunity to, to really drive growth and economic development? Oh, absolutely. You know, the city is growing in every conversation that I've had with business leaders, but also government leaders. They talk about creating talent pipeline here. And to the extent that we can invite people, even from across the state, but across the globe, to come and live in this great city and learn in this city, and then connect them with the opportunities that exist, then this whole concept of brain drain goes away. So mm-hmm. there are excellent opportunities. The other opportunities that we offer, and everybody, you know, there are a lot of universities offering it. The future of work is that talent is going to change very, the need for skills is changing very rapidly. So to be able to provide just-in-time learning and providing the fundamentals of learning is something that UND does really well. So we teach you in the basic skills of critical thinking, you know, cognitive compatibility, working in teams, writing well, speaking well. And then we also train you in being able to translate that into something very tangible. So this uh, there's an opportunity, obviously, to grow talent, but there's also an opportunity to train and continue to train talent that already exists. As AI takes over, as some of these technologies take over, universities are and should be in the business of providing that continuous learning, whether it's through training models where you come back and take a degree or maybe just take a certificate or learn. So really what I would consider this almost an open loop learning model is really important for universities to have. And that is one of our focus right now. And we are working on it very diligently to provide the initial talent, but also continue to train the talent going forward. I think it's interesting. And it's the first time I've heard the term uh, just-in-time learning. You know, you hear just-in-time inventory, but just-in-time learning, and that's reflective of, uh, you know, I I think the need to connect with business on what they need in terms of talent. And that, that continues to evolve, obviously. That is absolutely true. And at the same time, we also need to be mindful. So if you look at reports, which I'm sure you do, from the World Economic Forum, they talk often about the skill instability. So the skills that are popular today are probably going to be passe in the next five to seven years. So this concept that we should be continuous providers of this education and these skill sets is a very important part of a university's promise. And that's the space that uh, University of Indianapolis is already in, but we are also building very intentionally that space of just-in-time learning. I know this is a Maybe an unfair question because you probably talk on, on several levels on this, but in terms of the challenges of being a university president today, you talk mm-hmm. about AI and the evolving workforce and uh, you the need to, to to fundraise, all the things that go into the job. What's the what, what would you is there one aspect of the job you consider the most challenging? Well, uh, you know, president's jobs have always been challenging. They're just a different context, right? 
I consider the one that the ability to speak of the value of higher education is not challenging uh, in, in the sense that we think of challenge, but it's really important. That's something we need to continuously talk about and make sure that relevance is communicated in the way that's understood by everyone. So there has been a bit of uh, not a bit of quite a bit of conversation around the value of higher education. And we can point to all the studies that exist that talk about how important higher education is. So it it changes lives from purely from an economic perspective. But research also says, you know, people with a college degree live longer, they smoke less, they're healthier in general. So there is a societal impact to it. And I believe the conversation should focus upon these benefits. And I believe that is a challenging a part in the sense that you have to keep reminding people about the importance of higher education to the competitiveness of this country and mm-hmm. a state and a community. And I believe that's a bit of a challenging part. And it's my job to do that. Talked a little bit about the future of of, of work, the future of, of workforce. How about the future of education? There's been a lot, you know, of talk, as you mentioned, you know, the value of of higher education, you know, the finances in, in some schools around the country, some even here in Indiana, you know, struggling financially. What 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 does the future higher education model, the picture, look like in your view? A few things. One, higher education also needs to continuously ask itself the question about relevance of everything they do, from the fundamentals to the evolving nature. So it is important for us also to ask that question. And nimble institutions like UND that continuously ask that question, you know, how does it matter? If you look at the way we teach, everything has a practical element. I go and stop a lot of times when they're training, for example, our future police officers. And I see the way they are trained with real technologies, with real environments. I do the same when I go and see my our nursing students or our occupational therapy students or our business students who are actually working on Bloomberg terminals to understand how investment takes place and how why they should be Bloomberg certified. So that relevance part, it's also important for higher education to remember that the fundamentals are equally important. We have to train our students in the fundamental skills of math and science and reading and the ability to communicate effectively. So to the extent that universities keep in mind the fundamental tenets as well as the evolving nature of the workforce, it we would be okay. What happens sometimes is there is this tension between the not the ability to connect with the world. And that's where my push towards this constant and intentional connectivity with the community comes from. I need to know where the world is going and then be able to incorporate those changes into the curriculum as we teach, because curriculum and things change over time. And and we need to be open to that evolving nature of education as well. You know, I asked you a couple of minutes ago about your the biggest challenge in being a president. President, what what's your favorite part of the job? I should ask you that too. What's your what's your ideal day as a, as a president? I, I know your schedule is day in and day out, very very challenging. I'm sure, but I'm sure there are days that that things are 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 maybe better than others. What's your favorite kind of day? As my favorite president? absolute part of the day is to talk to students. I was in. You can probably see me smiling on camera right now. Right. I was at. I was welcoming new students to the university. These were our spring transfers and spring fresh 
freshmen. You know, that's another new trend. And I was in a in a room full of students and I had students welcoming them. And I was grinning year to year. They bring such joy, but they're genuinely, genuinely curious. You know, anybody who says students don't care, they're, I would have to say, I respectfully disagree. You're just plain wrong. So the best part of my day is talking to students. I really have also enjoyed my connections with the community to be at that intellectual level, to be, you know, to able to hear, to hear from them, what are they thinking? What are their challenges? Because then I become a thought partner to them and say, how might we solve some of the problems, say, in healthcare? So we need more nurses. How might we be a partner to you in providing more people in the health sciences or engineering or business or music or education? So that part is very, very intellectually engaging to me. But the biggest smile that I get is when I talk to my students. That's good. Well, and you mentioned the health sciences and certainly talent challenges in that sector. And that's a that's a real niche for you, Wendy, right? That is a very big niche for us. In fact, uh, our occupational therapy, physical therapy programs, our nursing programs are very much in demand. And that's uh, that that makes me very happy about it. We are also closely and very intentionally working potentially with partners to say, how might we be able to... Uh, do that better and, and do it more intentionally and continuously. Much more ahead with you, Indy President Tanuja Singh. When we return, we'll talk about uh, growing up, her early years, her path to uh, Indiana and you, Indy, and a lot more when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. PNC Bank, we're committed to making a difference in the lives of our customers and communities by helping them move forward financially. As a Main Street Bank, we try to do right by our customers with every encounter. Our local teams offer personalized financial advice to help guide you in making the best decision. We're proud to be part of your community. PNC Bank, see how we can make a difference for you at PNC.com. Copyright 2022, the PNC Financial Services Group Bank, all rights reserved. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is University of Indianapolis President Tanuja Singh. And uh, President Singh, uh, first of all, I should have asked you this probably off the top, but give folks who may not know the thumbnail description of UND in terms of student population, strengths, all that kind of good stuff. Well, thank you again. I'm delighted to be here. We are about about 5,000 students, very, very strong programs, both at the liberal arts level as well as professional level. So we have very strong programs in, say, healthcare, nursing, occupational therapy. We have very strong program in business. We have a very strong school of engineering, which is relatively new, but is doing great things. And I'm, I would like to brag that for the past two years, we have won the National Robotics Championship in our engineering program, which is always good. And we have very strong programs in psychology that are nationally ranked. Population is about 80 countries are represented along with I believe all states, or at least 40 plus states of the nation, exciting time to be here. And uh, popular. That's about that's about the overall description of the university at academic and um, and uh, international and domestic levels. And Coach Kievers is doing a great job in football too. He's a good guy. 
tell my Coach Kievers was one of the first people I met. And you should check out this video we did with Coach Kievers. I showed up at the you know field and said, hey, I want to see you practice. He is an amazing human being and a great coach. And I'm <laughs> very, very, very fortunate to have him at UND. He is a good guy. That's great. Hey, well, what what a trend you touched on a little bit, I think, but what attracted you were at Loyola in New Orleans, right? Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. As provost and I think senior academic officer. What really attracted you to this UND opportunity? I, I think that's one of my favorite questions to answer as well. If you look at the the city itself, the state itself, it's one of the fastest growing states in the country. There are tremendous opportunities here for our students. Our student, it's an urban campus, but more importantly, Uh, One of the promises of higher education is that we are providing relevant education. So when I was talking to the university, I kept seeing things they do that matter in the real world. So if they are teaching people a certain subject, how does it translate? Students consulting with organizations, you know, cell working to educate teachers. So everything at a very foundational level, strong programs exceptionally strong faculty. I was very impressed with the qualifications of faculty, including one whom I just got to know about two months ago, who's nationally known for her work in the area of Parkinson's disease. So we have very, very good faculty, exceptional facilities. And, you know, I'm coming back to the Midwest, believe it or not, this weather that we are having this week, I'm kind of enjoying it because that's, (laughs) while, while you may have different opinions about it, I was in the Midwest earlier and then I'm coming back. So the opportunity to come back to the Midwest that I love, the opportunities at the school from a faculty, from a student population perspective, and of course, the city itself just really attracted me. The connectivity with the community has been amazing. That was one of the things I wanted to see, how quickly, how easy it would be to connect with people who are essentially hiring our students and working with them. And it has been wonderful to see that. That's great. Now you grew up in India, right? Can you talk about growing up, uh, growing up in India? Yes, I did. I I left uh, many, many moons ago now, but uh, my early education and my two degrees are from India and then two from the United States. So yes, I did. Uh, What brought you to, uh, to the United States? You know, some of it was, I've always looked at the education system of the United States as really the world-class system. Uh, We have some family connections. An uncle of mine came and studied, uh, did his PhD, in fact, from Purdue many moons ago. And my brother was coming and I had, uh, I was planning to change career path. I was a physicist and was wanting to do something different. And I was good in finance and math. And I looked at programs and decided I wanted to do an MBA. I would like to say that it was a very thought out, well thought out process, but I really um, was more interested in the excellent education system. And then the idea to do finance and MBA came later. And then, of course, a doctorate after that. So uh, mostly for the opportunities here. MBA, I think, from Millsaps College in Mississippi, doctorate, uh, business administration, uh, you are a Saluki, right? Southern Illinois University. Yes, I am a Saluki. Absolutely. That's good. Did you envision, was it always your your ideal path to become an administrator, ultimately a university president? I would like to say that I've always been, and it sounds a bit self-congratulatory, but I've liked leadership opportunities from the very beginning, even when I was a student. And my path to administration was not so much the administrative part, but the leadership part. How might I do what I like best and impact people at a level perhaps 
bigger than just being, a, you know, not just being, being a faculty. Faculty are doing amazing work. The other part that interested me was, as I was looking at leaders in my own institutions, there are not too many people that look like me. Uh, you know, I come from a different country, yeah. uh, have an accent, if you can't tell. <laughs> and uh, uh, was I didn't find a lot of people that look like me. And I like the fact that I, I've always believed that a diverse group brings more opportunities to everybody. And as I was mentoring my students when I was a faculty, they would often comment, uh, either I was mentoring my faculty or I was mentoring students, they would always say, oh, wow, wouldn't it be nice to have you doing X? So I said, well, this would be a good opportunity. And since then, I've always pursued them. And I've been very fortunate to be able to, to make an impact through whether I was a department chair, whether I was a dean, whether I was a provost. But it was primarily because I've always thought, what could I do and do better in something that I absolutely love, which is to being an educator, which is being an educator. You mentioned mentoring students. Uh, did you have mentors? How important were mentors to you in your in your early, especially in your early career? I've always had mentors. My family itself uh, was a, a great mentor to me. My dad and mom both um, have a significant higher education. They're not in higher education, but they were mentors to me. But when I became when I came into the university, I always had someone who told me, you know, even when I was struggling with something, that this was something I could do. Uh, they are really important, and they're becoming increasingly important because they are one. They're not so much teaching you the subject matter. They're telling you you belong mm -hmm. and you can do it. And that's where the power of mentorship comes uh, from. And I've been very fortunate that I've had mentor. I call them my wise friends and I still have them mm -hmm. uh, because they tell me when I'm getting ahead of myself too, which is good, which is what mentors should do. Yeah. How important is that? I think that's, you know, you talk to people and whether it's in, in sports and in coaching in in business, whatever the case might be, the ability to, to be able to pick up the phone and call someone uh, as you're facing a tough decision or maybe going through a tough time. How, how, how important is that? It is one of the most important, very, very important access and resource to have. I still have. I've always asked people, can you tell me who are the five people you would call if you were in a big crisis? And you should have them on your fingertips. I have them, and I'm very fortunate that I have more than five. Yeah. But to me, that quite possibly for everyone, whether you're a student, whether you are a in any job, any profession, the ability to have that access is really important. So let's talk now as we uh, we wind down here a bit uh, on what's next, what we can expect to see from the University of Indianapolis. I know, you know, you mentioned that that connection to community, and um, I know I think we did a couple of stories uh, on it. Uh, UND unveiling a marketing campaign really aimed at generating interest in high school among high school students in pursuing teaching uh, degrees. Um, Let's teach Indiana. Fourteen high schools in Marion County you're partnering with. As you look at programs like that, are those the types of things that 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 we can see uh, coming out of UND? Yes, you will see a host of programs uh, coming out of UIndy. You will particularly see the ability to have that attitude that it uh, education is a lifelong process. So you will see a lot of programs coming out that help people 
finish what they started. So you may have started a degree many moons ago, you didn't finish it. So everything from degree completion program to, as I spoke earlier, short-term certificate programs that somebody might come and say, you know, I don't need to get a whole degree. I just need to understand how AI works or how supply chain works. The ability to translate our existing skills into something that is much more just in time, you will begin to see that. You'll also begin to see some specific programs, perhaps, that are targeted as partnership programs. So we do nursing well. Is there an opportunity for us to partner with organizations that are seeking that talent and for us to provide them with the talent in a more dedicated way? Those would be some of the opportunities you will see a lot. There'll also be opportunities for what we call you know, continuing education, if you want to understand about leadership, getting both transcriptable certificates that you can use towards a degree or certificate, you may just want to know something about what's happening in AI. So those that work has already started. It's uh, It started a, a month after I arrived on campus and it's taking, um, uh, it's taking shape now. So you will begin to see a lot of that. I do want to mention something about the Educating Indiana process. Uh, we are, as you know, a very big, a good partner to that community here. We have very strong program in education. And as you know, there's a big need for it. So we just received multiple grants. We've received several grants to uh, teach people the science of reading, to teach students the science of reading. And we are excited about preparing teachers who are able to translate that into improving literacy all across Indiana. As you know, going to college, finishing high school, they're all a function of how well people can read, how early they can read. And those grants really help us prepare um, students for the future, but also teachers for the future. Indiana, in my view, uh, is extremely blessed to have great public institutions, great private institutions of, of higher education. And I know it's a competitive game out there, but do, do you sense or do you see, I mean, typically when you look at economic development and, you know, attracting jobs and those types of things, it's kind of been the domain of the public schools, you know, the Purdue's and the IU's and, and those institutions, the Ivy Techs for training. But do you see a role? It sounds like you do because the things you're talking about can contribute certainly to that process. Do you see a role for collaboration among public and private institutions and in, when it comes to economic development and job creation and that kind of thing? Oh, absolutely. You know, this is, while there is there is the com competitive opportunity, there's a lot of work to be done in the collaborative space as well. If you think about it, you know, as I mentioned, and I'll repeat it again, a majority of our graduates actually stay here. So the ability to provide that opportunity to businesses, but also to really speak to the importance of having institutions of all different kinds, uh, simply if you're educating students, that that's very important, but also to keep the talent in the state is equally important, something that we do really well. Uh, also, there is plenty of opportunity for all of us to have that space in which we work from our strengths. One of our biggest strengths is the ability to work very closely with our students. I was walking around in our engineering building and I saw these first year students working on, you know, robotic, developing robotic uh, program. I mean, they were working with robots. They were doing mm -hmm. stuff that was... That is an opportunity, and they were working with faculty directly. These were first-year students. The ability to have that very hands-on experience at an institution with small class sizes and have a faculty tell you uh, how to do it right there is, is a big advantage that small universities have. To your point, yes, there is enough opportunity for collaborating. 
In fact, uh, we've already met with, um, you know, Sue, Dr. Sue Elsperman, president of uh, Ivy Tech, and I have great respect for her and all the other presidents that are in this space. And I'm looking forward to working continuously with them. Tanuja Singh is the 10th president at the University of uh, Indianapolis. And President Singh, it's been a real treat to have you on the podcast, get to know you a little, little better. And I look forward to, uh, to seeing you in person very soon. I look forward to that as well. And thank you very much for this conversation. I appreciate it very much. All right. And thank you for joining us on this episode of the Business and Beyond podcast. It's a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes, more than 150 strong, and get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I'm Gary Dick. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.